You're listening to the Bible Boat Bros podcast with my dad and his dumb friend. Enjoy! I play at a church in Tulsa, and I was just, I don't know, we play lots of songs that we that came out when I was in high school. And Andrew, you and I grew up Baptist, right? Right. And you remember singing those hymns every Sunday morning. I do. You remember us going to a contemporary service and bringing in the drums, but then they made it at 8 a.m. where the only people that were up that early were the traditional people. <laughs> and so you had to continue to play the drums loud. Still had to have it turned down a lot. Yep. I remember. I remember starting that contemporary service. Yeah. That was a big to-do. Well... I remember growing up kind of hating hymns as far as like they just one you're singing the same songs like every week kind of thing obviously the organ and the piano doesn't help with the instrument stuff side of it but I just remember growing up thinking when I grow up I'm not gonna be that kind of person that like that is set in my old music songs and that's that's all we're gonna play and we're gonna play nothing new like I just was trying to make it a point that I'm not going to be that old guy stuck on hymns kind of thing. Well, and now I just, I see the churches, you know, the, the contemporary songs of that day aren't like churches seem like they go to a contemporary service and then they just, they stop learning new songs. <laughs> and so like I play at this one church and we're, we're playing like I could sing of your love forever. Or uh, better is one day in your course. I still like those songs. Yeah, that's um, I still like them, but as kind of it's fun. That's why I like to play at that church because it's actually kind of fun to go back to those songs. Like I'm playing a djembe, and I haven't played that since just right after high school, and so it's kind of a good memory to go back type of thing. But man, if I was doing that every week and we've been singing those same set of fifteen songs in a rotation, I don't. I just think it's like yeah, I'd the, leave that church. The choruses of yesterday are the hymns of today, I guess, is if that's if I said that right. All the hymns back when they were created. People the, probably thought those were contemporary. Yeah, exactly. Remember there was a pastor one time that was preaching at uh, our church growing up and he was like, You yes. can well golly, you can learn I don't know if he said golly, but you, learn more you can learn more from this hymnal than you can from the Bible. Yep. And he stayed around a little bit. <laughs> That's how messed up that church was. <laughs> yeah. It, it is just fun. I mean, music is a huge thing in churches, obviously. And now I think churches try to use music to impress non-Christians to come to their church. I was doing a Tulsa, sure. doing a Tulsa run. It's a 15K. And like every kilometer, you saw some church band on the side of the road, you know, <laughs> playing. Wow. <laughs> With their big banners and there's, you know, that kind of thing. That's it, neat. I wonder if the organizers orchestrated that, actually. I don't think they, – they're like that every year. Like, it's all in there all the ways the same bands in the same places. I think it's like just their thing. Like, we're going to – there's 10,000 people running this race today. We're going to – Play music for them. And, like, some of them are even just – they're not even the band. They're just playing loud worship songs, you know. But it's like old worship songs. I <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's funny. Like, I don't Do they break out the organs? No, no, no. Not that old, of course. 
I'd say like '90s, like early Chris Tomlin songs, you know, uh, David Crowder first album. I just think it's funny people are trying to. It just seems like they're trying to impress people with like, look, we got cool music too. It's but it's Christian. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it's funny. Just it seems like that that's what we try to do is we try to be more contemporary to try to try to bring in more of a non-Christians into the like attract them into church or make them feel welcome when you know there's some churches that will open up with a secular song you know and that that's the whole idea of that is it will make the the non-believer when they're in church be like yeah like oh I know this song maybe I'm not <laughs> I guess not a heathen or whatever because I like this song because they're playing this song minus a few words they <laughs> changed yeah kind of lessen their guilt yeah and and i guess it's to drop the walls or whatever the seeker sensitive movement that's what we're talking about today isn't it yeah ever heard of it not until the other day when you brought it up oh. well i got i have a friend i was talking to and he uh, told me this clip and we'll play it real quick um it's from rc sprolls i believe and this yeah let's just play it and then we'll talk about it what are your thoughts about the seeker-sensitive movement, as it is called? What, what was that? The seeker-sensitive movement, your thoughts? Oh, my. <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's a very, very bad thing. Very bad. Because it rests on a fundamental error. The assumption is that unbelievers outside the church are desperately seeking for God, number one. The second fundamental error is that the purpose of corporate worship on Sunday morning is to reach the lost. Now, why are those the two fundamental errors? The first one is that the Bible makes it absolutely clear that in our natural condition, in our fallen state, no one seeks after God. The only people who seek after God are those who have been already born again. Seeking after God begins with regeneration. We are the seekers. Now, Aquinas had to answer this question in his day when people said, you know, it sure seems to me that my next-door neighbor is searching after Christ, but he's not a believer, and yet the Bible says nobody searches. You know, what's with that? And Aquinas said, here, you see people all around you that are searching for peace of mind, for happiness, for relief from guilt, for meaning and significance to their lives, and you watch them searching desperately for these things, and you say, well, the only thing that can give them that is Christ. And so you assume then that they're searching for that which only God can give them, the benefits of God, they therefore must be seeking after God. Quan says, no. He said, the problem with fallen man is that we seek for the benefits that only God can give us, while at the same time, we're fleeing as fast and as hard as we can from him. So the seeker out there is not seeking for God. He's seeking for a hiding place from God. So get that straight. Second of all, worship is to be the corporate gathering together of the people of God for worship. Okay? 
Now, you always, you always assume that there's going to be some tears along with the wheat, and there's going to be unbelievers present in the worship, and you've got to be sensitive to that, as Paul indicates to the Corinthians. So you have to, at some point, uh, address the lost in your sermon. But fundamentally, what's going on on Sunday morning are the believers gathering on the Lord's Day to attend the study of the uh, sit at the feet of the apostles, to gather for prayer, for worship, adoration, the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And what we should be most concerned about in our worship is what is it that pleases God, right. not what, what is it that pleases the unbeliever. Right. This, is, this is one of the great tragedies of our day, I think. And it's going to really cost the church and not, it's not going to take a long time. It already has cost the church. Here's what I found it, just in terms of observing this. And R.C. got to the deep level. Let me get to the level you're likely to see. Uh, here's the logic. It's a pretty seductive logic, which is if you scratch people where they now itch, they'll be more open to hearing the gospel. And uh, the logic is that if you, if you help them to know how to have a better bank account and, and more obedient children and, and uh, greener grass and, you know, well-manicured lawn and whatever else they're trying to help them with, and, uh, you know, you do a sermon series on this and a sermon series on that, you'll earn their trust because you actually met their needs. This is explicit in the methodology. So they'll then trust you when you talk to them about the gospel. Two problems with that. Number one, it doesn't work. And, and number two, in a lot of these places, they never even get to talking about the gospel. You know, you just come back later, they're still on green grass. You know, and uh, now instead of dealing with preschoolers, it's dealing with teenagers. But it's just, in, a, in other words, we actually never, never get to it. And uh, I'll tell you, just look phenomenologically at this. Look at how many big churches were built on this methodology and their back door was larger than their front door. And uh, you just don't have a church left. It's also a strategy of unbelief. Mm-hmm. In this regard, we're still looking for Joseph's pants. Now, what do I mean by that? In the last sermon that Martin Luther ever preached two days before he fell ill and died, he preached on the gospel, and he preached on his concern that despite of the awakening of the Reformation and the recovering of the light of the gospel, which was now being preached and was available to the people, the people were still uh, addicted to relics. And rather than read the scriptures, they would go to Trier, where they had in their uh, relics uh, uh, the pants of Joseph or a vial of milk from the breast of Mary. And what he was saying is, is that what people were looking for was power. And they believed that there was power in the pants of Joseph. Now, we don't go around looking for the pants of Joseph now. Now the power is in the program. Whereas what Luther says, then what we've been hearing and what we just heard from your message is that the power of the Holy Ghost is mediated in and through the Word. Amen. Amen. Yeah. 
When are we going to believe that? That's when I say it's a strategy of unbelief. The minister wants to grow his church. The minister wants to see success. And so he's looking for all these programs, all these techniques to get people to come in. But he never goes over the bridge and gets to the Word. If you want a power in your church, be an expository preacher. Preach the Word. That's where the Spirit is. Isn't, isn't that God's strategy? Yes. And if we believe God's strategy, we're going to preach the Amen. Word. Amen. In season. And I'm preaching now. All right, Andrew, so what are your first thoughts about this guy? All right, so my first thought is who in the world is this guy? Who is R.C. Sproles? Can you answer that? I actually don't know. I just know it's, it's uh, my friend heard him. Okay, so I had to look him up. Says he's an American Calvinist theologian, author, and pastor. He's the founder and chairman of Legionnaire Ministries and can be heard daily on Renewing Your Mind radio broadcast. So you don't like him because he's a Calvinist? Uh, not no, that's not necessarily why I don't like him. I don't like him based off of uh, the fact that he just comes out and says that this whole secret movement is wrong. He doesn't even give it a chance. He doesn't even entertain the thought he immediately puts his opinion out there without you know what i don't like sounds a lot like one of my best friends named fish what i like (laughs) no because like i don't necessarily care for a seeker sensitive church but they're very valuable churches uh you know matter of fact the church we go to i would consider a seeker sensitive church Life Church, I would consider a seeker-sensitive church. Well, in most contemporary churches, I think would like they go on to say, like I said on there, that seeker-sensitive is a, uh, over or not not the, really a terminology you'd use anymore. It's now like the uh, underlying, I guess, foundational principles that still are in most contemporary churches now. So for those of you who, you know, didn't really pay attention to what seeker-sensitive was, a seeker-sensitive, well, Dusty, what is a seeker-sensitive? Well, to me, a seeker-sensitive church is something where they're doing everything in their service to make the non-Christian more welcome and more comfortable. Um, they're attracting them by, I, I don't know. Their programs, their music, their... The programs are music, but even just even the sermon terminology. Like, you, you want uh, you you know somebody who's hurting in their marriage, invite them to church this Sunday. We're going to give them three principles to heal their marriage, and then they build their trust with those principles, and then they'll maybe keep coming, you know, because their marriage is getting better based on biblical principles, and then then they try to basically use that and to give your whole life to Christ. And here's where I have the problem with R.C. Sproul's is. We need places like that, churches like that, because other if we do it the way RC wants to do it, no, we're not going to be able to reach a certain demographic. The, the demographic that the seeker sense of church does reach, the people who you know are shamed of going in a church in the first place would never step in a church like RC Sproul's. They will step in a church like ours or like a life church because of the atmosphere. It's a darker, you know, the lights are more dimmed. Uh, even as you walk into the lobby, just the lights are dimmed. Uh, people you can are, get in are, and get out without being noticed. 
Yeah, I, well, I wouldn't say that. You can't get into our church, in and out of our church, without being noticed. You have you can s- if you show up five minutes late, like most people. No, we still have six people <laughs> in the lobby waiting oh, yeah. for those people. Oh yeah. Well, so does so does like a live church or a church on the move. Those those churches they have pos- people positioned to be greeters and welcomers. Yeah. But you can get through those by like just saying hi and stuff. You know. Oh, you think you can? I I do all the time when I go to live church. When I go to church on the move, Christmas thing. Yeah, up. live church is different though. I would say they have multiple people just there. People as you come in the doors, you're, they're greeting you. People like strategically looking like, hey, there's free coffee and free whatever over here. There's people handing you stuff as you walk what in. What I'm main doors. I'm more talking about say our church because when we see a new person, we intentionally approach them, we talk to them, we create conversation, and then we guide, we walk with them to another one of our stations in which we do a, a soft handoff in which we tell them the person's name, we tell them it's their first time, and then that station talks to this person, and then we take them to the next station. So when you come into our church, you are personally greeted and walked around and handed off, and so you're not getting through our church. Life Church, they're just so big, and they've gotten it. Now, people at Life Church, they have this mass training program, and and I'm not trying to knock down on Life Church. What I believe Life Church is doing is amazing, and, and uh, you know they reach people that our church won't reach, and that the churches that like RC Sproul's t- preaches at won't reach. So don't get me wrong, I'm not bashing Life Church. I love Life Church, and I do attend it occasionally. But they have a mass training program in which everybody is just quickly pushed through because they're so large. They need all these volunteers, and they need them ASAP. And so they're pushed through. They're not taught the one-on-one uh, prince or one-on-one of handling with uh, new people, and they they're not taught to walk from station to station. Have you served at Life Church? I have not, but I have gone through their training. Yeah. Yeah. So have I. And mine was. Different, I guess. Oh, see, mine wasn't. I went through it because I was when I got put in charge of guest services at our church. I guess it's more ongoing training. Like they, there's there's a main person that observes the people, and so they, so it's like, yeah, you get you get kind of like the uh, kind of like the overall, like you're saying, like a generic kind of training. Then they kind of tweak stuff here and there if they notice things, and so I mean. That's that's how I heard it. It wasn't in the guest services side. It was in a uh, small group leadership side, I guess. But yeah, I went still. through the uh, guest services side of it with a, a good friend of ours uh, that works there. He was able to get me into it because when I took over as guest services, I went through their training as well as a couple other churches, and then I just took the best parts of everything and combined it. And that's where ours came from. So. Uh, that's why we have the soft handoffs at our church, and that's why everybody is greeted at least three times before hitting this auditorium or sanctuary at our church. Getting back to uh, seeker-sensitive church and, and the seeker-sensitive movement or whatever yeah, it was. probably more movement now than right. church. Uh, I like it. I think we need it. It reaches those at ordinary churches, you know, the First Baptist of whatever's aren't going to reach or the first Methodist of whatever's aren't going to be able to reach because they're so stuck in their ways. They're stuck with their rituals. This is what time we get here. We sing three or four songs at this time. We do our prayer. We do our sermon. We say amen and we go to lunch. 
what I see, though, uh, I'm different, but I don't really see it that way, I guess, that hardcore, like you're saying it, because I do believe that the backdoor of seeker-sensitive churches movement is just as open as the front door. I agree and I can that. I can say it this way, like because their their goal is to get as many non Christians saved as possible, get as many people saved, like right. And and so what happens? It, and and it's really funny because I, I I think in the overall feeling is most churches now are trying to be more seeker sensitive. Like I just feel like that's the movement side of it. There's not specific churches that are seeker sensitive now like it's just more of a i think there are certain churches that are more seeker sensitive i do agree well yeah they're more seeker sensitive but every church is now trying to be sensitive i believe they have a quote-unquote program seeker sensitive program style yeah and so i like what i see is somebody comes to this church and they get a little bit out of it and then seeker sensitive also usually means it doesn't go very deep like in Right. study and Correct. it's more of worldly principles of how to have better marriages better finances better relationships better is something the better that will better not just you spiritually but also your life like that's you attract people well, with I those think. kind of sermons but what i'm what i'm what i'm saying to finish my thought as i'm rambling here is what i've i've seen even in our church is people kind of get tired of it or like they feel like at some point they're not growing, and so then they go to another church. That's the different style. What you're saying is like life church doesn't reach people, but yet it, it does in a sense because people like at some point like they from our church they've either gone to a life church or to a solace church or something else because they've basically gotten all the stuff that they can out of one church and then they they go to another church and then there's what I think the guy is saying is you're losing fundamental Christian things. By trying to be so seeker sensitive, like like in the book Pagan Christianity, that was a, one of the flaws we see. It's like through time, we've slowly lost what the original church was established at, where it wasn't about trying to get them to come to their worship meetings. It was about trying to build relationships with lost people. I don't know. Here's what I want to know. <clears throat> I want to do some background research on this guy. I want to know how big the back door is at his church. You. <laughs> I want to know how many people leave his church. Uh, you know, he's so he's does he even have a church? Well, and that's does. I mean, he's, that's that's the argument that people would have is my church isn't like that. My church back door is fine. No, or my church and I'll agree. Our back the back door at our church is pretty big, but the, it's not, and it's because we are a more of a seeker sensitive church. Once we once you're saved. There's not much more going on at the, our church. Very evangelistic, I mean, right. and that's mostly sensitive, evangelistic. Right. And so, they, but then they move on to a church where they're going to get fed more, or, or they're going or to they more. don't. I don't know. Most of the people that leave our church that I still personally know moved on to another church. You know, like when you're in sin, you're ashamed, and it's a way to not feel ashamed. You're trying to work better. I don't know. Like, how is he saying it? Like, you would. I understand what it's you're just, saying. It's I, just a shelter in the sense of what the bigger root is and right. so people come and they get their marriage healed and then you slowly stop coming because but then what you needed is fixed then that church is not doing their job like our i'm going to use our church as an example it's because it's our church it's what is precious on my mind we have house churches in which it's supposed to take you to another step there's still secret sensitive house churches though 
They are, and I uh, rambled about that last episode. That we are a secret sensitive <laughs> house church, but if the house church is doing its job, it's still going to move them to the next step in which they're ready maybe to move on to another church that is not seeker sensitive. My house church isn't seeker sensitive. Your house church isn't sanctioned. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we went rogue. How do you get a house church kicked out of the house church program at a church, bro? <laughs> uh, that is epic. <laughs> right. I applaud you for that one. I've taught you well, my son. <laughs> Oh, but it's going I, – I will tell you this. It's going great. Our house church right now. One, it helps me because I'm more actively involved in planning and and listening to um, the people. Like we're, we're coming together, like coming up with like what lessons we want to do and what things we want to talk about. Like it's just – we do communion together. Just – it's just – I don't know. It's just uh, we're all more actively involved in growing together and growing to Christ. I don't know. It's great. Like it's just been awesome. I'm gonna say I've been kicked out of churches, but I've never had a house church kicked out of a house church program, let alone led it. So um, I, I mean, that's great. I, I mean, what you guys did, I I like oh, it. Not that we were necessarily kicked out. We just stopped. We just stopped. You're given an ultimatum, and you chose. I guess yeah. Not to follow that, and therefore you were. Not allowed. We're just longer. we don't have a we don't have a. I don't Affiliation. know. We're way too long on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> I, you're right. We're not sanctioned. <laughs> All right. Anyways. <laughs> no. But I, I do I do think that this guy overall like he comes off very arrogant, uh, very know it all ish. But so does a lot of people. Um, but in this clip, he definitely in a couple of clips I've seen of him actually talking about the same thing. He definitely comes like this know-it-all like angry old man is kind of how i kind of view him as but uh i i think there's there's there is some truth to it you know like um you would say because big churches like live church that are hugely seeker sensitive are making new buildings that they're being really successful but then you also have you know you have churches like ours and other tons of other churches that uh, another church we've been a part of, the people have left that church and they've gone to Life Church, and so they're, I think they're growing by attracting just as many Christians as non-Christians in a sense. Like I, think I agree with that. I think they're staying also. bigger because they're attracting because this it is great. You have I like the preaching there is amazing. It's very very good. The music's decent, but they they it depends on which campus. It depends on which campus, but that's every church. But uh, they have a paid band, which is great because you know that they practice. Um, you know that they practice and that they're going to know their stuff and that they're committed to it. And that's part of being like crappy bands is always a huge turnoff when you go to a church. And so It is. As soon as I hear that organ, I'm out the door. <laughs> as, soon as, <laughs> as soon as you just hear like people singing off key or, or a band missing – missing time or something you know like those kind of things definitely like you lose kind of respect for their professionalism and stuff i don't know it's just that's and that's usually like the first 20 minutes of a service is the band so that can kill your your momentum going into the sermon or it could it could help it so i'm not 
I just re- read a little bit more on R.C. Sproul. Is mm-hmm. it Sproul or Sproul? I don't know. Yes. Anyways. I don't know him personally. Okay. Right. And um, just he is uh, a co-pastor at a Presbyterian church. And so that's kind of where he comes from. Presbyterians are more traditional. Um, where it's and that used to be the Baptists. Baptists were very traditional and didn't like change, but the Baptists and, and with Calvinism, like uh, because I you hear it all the time, and maybe I'm supposed to believe more that like everybody's searching for like you've you've heard everybody's searching for something, and that something is God. You know, yeah. There's a God shaped hole in all of us. You know that song, um, but. But yeah, we all have a God-shaped hole, and only God can fill it, and we're all searching. We're trying to fill it with drugs and alcohol and booze and jobs and careers and money, but only God can fill it. You've heard those sermons. And so that's that's what we believe is that everybody's searching or has grown up to believe. His belief is from Calvinism is everybody is called like uh, predestination kind of stuff. And so, um, yeah, so I, he's believing that – you know, God seeks us. We don't seek after God because we're in sin. We don't seek God until after he's redeemed us, I guess, is what he's saying. And so God, Jesus, is knocking at the door. And if we answer it, then we can begin continuing to seek him. I guess it sounds like that's what his theology is on that. And so if you're a seeker-sensitive church, then you believe that people are seeking God and you're trying to to show where God is in their finances and in their marriages and stuff like that but if you're in his belief you're you're believing that that people aren't seeking those things and so to keep the worship service focused on the non or on the christians seeking christ at that in that service i guess is what he's trying to do and and helping like those who do christian or non-christians that do show up to the service he's probably explaining like this is what's going on like when steve allen's church when they speak in tongues, he comes and like, well, this is, you know, probably a little different than what you were expecting, and here's what we believe, and you know, I think that's what his theology kind of goes on. So, really, comes down to, do you believe people are seeking Christ, or do you believe people are just seeking, or you, th- or do you believe that Christ is seeking them? Maybe. Question mark. Normally, Dusty, you don't have to add the question mark in there, but okay. So, I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting, interesting topic. It was. It yeah, is, whatever. definitely. I yeah. don't know if we even answered it or what. I don't even know if I know what the answer would be or what I believe, but just random thoughts by Andrew and Dose. Dusty. Fish and Hope. Yeah, I mean, shoot. I heard... Well, I mean, I listened to the clip a good portion for the first time, and then the second time, I played it and I finished. I turned it off in like ten seconds. Yeah, I was already tired of it because you already prejudged it. Oh no! I mean, I <laughs> had a pretty good. I prejudged it in the first half second when there were four old men on the stage. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I prejudged yeah. that. And that's where oh, yeah, that's why I said you can listen to this and be like, well, they're just old men behind the times. But then I listened. I listened to it before I knew who it was. But then I had to do my research because I didn't agree with it. And so I wanted to know where he was coming from. And that's why I looked him up. And, uh, good thing about the internet age. You can find out about people real fast. 
Yep. Find out their beliefs. Find out how they grew up. This guy was ordained in a Presbyterian church when he was young. And you don't like those Presbyterians? No, I mean, shoot. I believe my mom <laughs> was a Presbyterian. Somebody in my family is a Presbyterian. Yeah, she's old and and uh, very traditional. No, my mom's not traditional at all. So you're just a little view on Presbyterians. No, because my mom's no longer Presbyterian. She was redeemed. She was redeemed. <laughs> she was saved. So back back again. You don't like Presbyterian? <laughs> no, I don't have a problem with it. Continue talking about judging. No, actually, I gotta get to work. So we're gonna time. get out of here.